Today we are talking to Marta Balsowitz about their debut novel, Big Shadow. Marta spent her early childhood in Pomerania and Madrid and now lives in Toronto. Her work has appeared in Catapult, Tin House Online, Volume 1, Brooklyn, Washington Square Review, The Rumpus, and Passages North, amongst other publications. Her fiction was anthologized in Tiny Crimes, a catapult publication. She received a fellowship from Tin House Workshops in 2022. Big Shadow is her first novel. In an unnamed town in the summer of 1998, Judy is an isolated and inexperienced teenager on the cusp of adulthood, struggling to craft an identity for herself, especially as the artist she wants to be. There is little help around her. Her only friends are increasingly obsessed with a cultish belief in a coming quote-unquote big shadow. Her mother is afraid of life and finds solace in TV shows. At her lowest point, Judy meets Maurice Blunt, a visiting summer poetry class professor who is a, again, quote-unquote, has-been fixture of the 1970s New York punk music scene. Judy believes Maurice, a man more than twice her age, desperately seeking lost adoration, is the ticket out of her current life. Soon she begins taking secret weekend trips to visit him. Judy's visits to his apartment in New York bring hopes of belonging to the city's cultural world and making a living as a video artist. With each trip and frustrated promise, however, she feels the creeping realization that there is a price to pay for her golden ticket entry into this insular and morbid scene. Judy must navigate the shifting power dynamics with her aging gatekeeper and the possibility of building an early adult identity alone. An affecting novel of psychological nuance and dark humor, Big Shadow explores the costs of self-deceit, fandom, and tenuous ambitions, exposing the lies we'll tell ourselves and the promises we'll make to edge closer to what we want or what we think we want. Hi, Marna. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'd like to give readers a little taste of your prose uh, with an example of a line at the very onset of the novel. Uh, As if flicked on by a switch, the sky went from its happy robin's egg blue to the dirty color of a river. This this is the kind of prose I would say that fills the novel um, in this sort of descriptive quality. And so I'm wondering, what's the appeal for you when it comes to imagistic writing like this? I mean, I just naturally seem to be drawn towards writing in that way I don't really you know consciously think about it and why I'm doing it um but I I think for this narrator too she's a very uh it's it's a very internal novel and she's a very imaginative person she's also a very lonely person and we get so we get a lot of alone time and a lot of you know inside her brain time um obviously it being a first person narration but also because as i said she's often alone so she's she's observing a lot she's thinking a lot um assessing <laughs> reevaluating mm-hmm. and yeah i think observations and the kind of lyricism that can lend itself nicely to to observations 
just kind of happened naturally in the novel, both because of who the narrator is and because of how I tend to like to write myself. In an observation about her unique relationship with her cousin and friends, uh, Judy meditates, I was filled with the understanding, which even then I experienced as repugnant, that I was tethered to them now, simply by having witnessed just how much was wrong with each. I loved the sentence. I guess it made me wonder, like I underlined, in what ways do the faults of others tether us to them? You know, what about intimacy tethers us specifically to things we don't like? Um, yeah, I, I think a, a large, there, the, a theme in the novel is familial bonds and the responsibilities we feel because of them, and also friendship bonds. Judy's friends with her cousin, so there, there's a kind of dual um, bond of friendship and family, which I think differentiates the cousin from the other friend she hangs out with, who's is just you know another guy mm-hmm. and she she feels more more just more responsible and, and for for her cousin and so i think that familial bond to her feels like a bit of a unfortunate tether um because it causes her to keep on having to return to him and despite you know a, a lot of the novel involves her wanting to escape from where she is both her relationships and the physical place. Um, so this also includes her mother, another obvious, huge, familial, intimate bond that, especially at that age, um, she's about to turn 18, we, you know, we tend to feel that tether to be especially kind of onerous and heavy where we actually want to get rid of it. And um, But at the same time, the fact that we often love our our family members very much um it, it's like a battle <laughs> a, a terrible battle of of love and hate um yeah I, I think that's a major theme in the novel definitely i mean and similarly it was quite refreshing to read about relationships without sex um, you know, there are plenty of romantic and physical moments, of course, in another context. But at the end of the day, Judy is, as you said, navigating a relationship with her mother, her cousin, his friend, and yes, an older man. But I really saw a huge focus on on the other aspects as well. And so I guess I'm wondering what drew you to a narration revol- revolving around sexless relationships. It's it's almost hard pressed to find a fiction or, or a book these days that, that doesn't center itself around uh, a sexual relationship, whereas so much of this book does revolve around sexless relationships. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, part of it is that Judy is quite, I guess the word is inexperienced or isolated or naive. She's she's, she's had a quite a, I guess, like a pr- protected, isolated childhood thus far and that she's been hanging out with her cousin and his his best friend and not only that they've they've also been going out to this sort of country home outside of the city so it's this additional isolation and um so in a in a sense um you know she just hasn't kind of had the opportunity to maybe experience the things that perhaps other people by age 18 have experienced um, she does have, she meets someone and she believes he's her boyfriend, but 
I think the reader can see there's this kind of dramatic irony where we can tell he's not a boyfriend, but she she keeps referring to him as her boyfriend. And um, so I think that kind of underlines her that that same inexperience and kind of naive approach towards um, relationships. And um, yeah, with with the older man um, whom she befriends and has this kind of problematic relationship that takes up most of the novel um, novel's energy I think Um, there I mean I think there is sexual tension but I think she's she's kind of in 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 denial about its presence because she does not want to think of it as being present Mm -hmm. so her self self deception and the way she being the first person narrator she's in control of course she chooses what what to you know steer our, us towards um she kind of yeah makes us makes it seem as if it's not present or not a threat whereas i th- i think we can see that it, it is a bit of a threat at, at times i'm also you know was mapping this book out was it critical and intentional and driven by this idea of what it's like to be an 18-year-old girl? I th- I think so. I mean, I think she is particular in in terms of that experience that I just described as having had a fairly isolated, um, kind of cloistered uh, upbringing. But other than that, yeah, her... her like her sentiments, the way the way she kind of looks at the world and is both sort of very wise, but at the same time extremely not wise in, in this strange, simultaneous kind of contradictory way. I think that's that's a very uh, teenaged like way of being. She's quite precocious, but but that's also not not that un- unusual to find uh, precocious 18-year-old women or girls. I have have had quite a few people write to me or or come to me at an event and say how how much they feel I've captured what it was like to be that age. I just just spoke to someone who's who's 19 and she Mm -hmm. said, no, I don't think you understand because I was that age a year ago. So I can tell you <laughs> with certainty you have captured it. And, and she, wow. she, she's really kind of adamant just how how she felt the novel was written about her in almost a creepy way. So I, I appreciate that. I'm 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 happy. That's that's how it turned out. Writer Thea Lim blurbed the book as a quietly radical novel. In what ways is this book quietly radical? And I'm emphasizing mostly the the quality of, of quietly. Um, I think how I would interpret that would be that it's it's not a novel where big things happen. I, I think a lot of the turns are quite, um, they're embedded in a ton of just writing that, is the self-reflecting thoughts of an 18-year-old girl, which is what we initially talked about, how most of the the novel is really her her head, <laughs> her mind thinking and 
revising her thoughts and changing her mind about what a situation meant or didn't mean. Or, um, and in that sense, um, it, there's not a lot of sort of plot moments, not a lot of big sort of revelations, but a lot of thoughts that I, I think if, if one kind of follows their development, you, you can see you can you can see the, the kind of significance in, in what's happening if that makes sense um so yeah maybe quietly radical in, in that way and really when we get to the end not i mean nothing has really changed that much the final mm -hmm. scene in the novel is quite reminiscent of early scenes in the novel and yet of course things have changed and must have changed because Mm -hmm. Some very, you know, ostensibly um, big events took place, and yet they didn't. I mean, the big shadow, you know, like maybe arrived, maybe it didn't. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard to say. <laughs> Judy is experiencing something very commonplace for a girl her age, which is this deep desire to feel special. Um, that's what draws her to an older relationship with an older man, Maurice. Um, at one point, she even comments on this feeling. Uh, she literally reflects how singular. Um, I know this experience myself. I, I, I was this girl at one point. Why do you think young women desire this need to feel so singular, special, unique, etc.? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's probably some kind of fundamental human condition trait that that we want to feel like we were were different from others but with her in particular and maybe women who are um maybe tend to be kind of creative or focus on on the arts and and kind of introspective and and um you know of, of that vein i think feeling with Judy in particular, she's made to feel like like she's perhaps an artist or artist like, and it's an artist who has selected her and and chosen to speak to her and befriend her, and um, I mean art has a lot of currency for someone who who appreciates art, right? So um, to say, grow up and develop while being a lover of literature and film and music and to have someone who's of that world so they have the credibility of, of, of being you know an artist come and say that that they feel you you too are special it also it, it almost kind of elevates you into that realm of, of the thing you admired <laughs> so mm -hmm. now you can really appreciate that it, it's truly an honor because you've spent your whole life admiring the people who were in that, you know, you know, clan of honorees. Um, so, yeah, I, I think being into art is, is a big part of it. Yeah, I, I can see that, too. And definitely there is like an artistic aspect to this relationship in particular. But, you know, there's also 
it's just a, kind of such a trope about young girls. Like, like even at some point in the novel, like her own mother isn't surprised to hear that a boy, whoever he may be, has like gotten her attention. Um, and it's just a trope that we, we, we comment on socially, like, oh, she, you know, that young girl, she just has a little crush on, on that boy or whatever, or, you know, whoever person it is. Um, especially if we consider the dynamics of an older relationship. And so much of this book to me really explores that. Um, you know, Maurice is presented to her as, as an adult. And as we learn and read more, he's anything but, despite having the age on him. Um, and so I'm sort of like thinking about this 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 energy of wanting an elder or feeling so validated when an elder says, hey, kid, you, you, you've got something. You've got something that an adult is seeing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess teenagehood and, and that cross into adulthood maybe is especially a time when when you crave to be recognized as having crossed, <laughs> crossed that line. And uh, yeah, it's funny that you point out that Maurice is actually <laughs> not the right adult to be calling others adult-like because he, he seems to be in a state of arrested development. But um, yeah, definitely recognition from an adult and it's it's dangerous, right? Because it's, it's kind of like, it's it's like titillating and exciting. Um, Why? What makes it titillating and exciting and dangerous? Dangerous is such a good word. What's dangerous about it? I mean, it's dangerous because the person who has pronounced this, you know, this this decision, this you know, crowning of you as adult like now holds the power of having, you know, given you that status, and and so your status is almost tenuous like it's it's mm. dependent on that person continuing to to believe that especially if it's just you know a one sole person who has been giving you this this affirmation um and for her it is she's she's really kind of only something like, like four people in her life she seems to have no one to kind of bounce her ideas against until uh, i would say a, a little bit later, I would say a new character is introduced who, who helps her in that mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's you know it's the power of like the lawmaker. <laughs> you know, he he says um, what the, what is and what isn't, and and so you're you're almost um, you're almost like you owe something to them to to keep proving yourself to them. It it, it is a power relationship, I think. Um, I loved the Sarah Shulman references in the book, uh, a New York writer I really admire. Um, Judy thinks at one point, I feel like I was in a Sarah Shulman novel. What does it feel like to be in a Sarah Shulman novel? Um, yeah, when I was uh, younger, I, I really enjoyed uh, Shulman's early novels, um, which feature a lot of like... Um, like queer girl artists and they're just like hanging out making art and and having fun but like bad things happen and it's um they're they're wonderful um and part of it is i, I wanted judy I, judy makes a lot of references to kind of art she likes and i think she likes to name drop too as part of her you know 
showing that that she knows her stuff. She she belongs in Maurice's world. She can you know cite Sarah Shulman or like Agnes Varda or <laughs> Antonioni or, or or something. But um, Sarah Shulman in particular was is someone whose whose novels I enjoyed and um, and. Yeah, she. I think it was just kind of a reference to her feeling cool all of a sudden. She's she's walking the same streets. Um, she's also making art. She thinks <laughs> um, the only difference is, I guess, she doesn't have a bunch of you know fellow sort of friends. Um, you know, she's she's only stuck with with this Marie's guy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this, Sarah Shulman. Um, no one else has, but that's, that's a kind of like a, a little insert of, of something that I personally really love that I put in there. I mean, I also love the answer. I sort of just wanted you to say because it's cool. <laughs> like It's so simple, but I, I do think that, that that is exactly what I read from it. Um, you know, the character of Maurice is so hard to read, um, but I say that as praise because I do think that that's the point of the character like him, um, a middle-aged man who thrives off the, you know, sort of quote-unquote naive attention of a girl half his age. But Lord, reading him, he is what the kids call cringe. Um, and I'm wondering since, it, it, again, in a pleasurable way, pleasurable way, it was so hard to read him. I'm wondering for you, was it, hard to write him was it cringe to write him i i don't think so i you know it's it's hard because you're so like they're your own creation so you have to love them and um it, it wasn't cringy i he i i laughed sometimes when he did certain things when i made him do something particularly stupid um <laughs> i would laugh to myself and um but you know, I think with characters, you you kind of have to embrace who they are. And if he made me, f I mean, cringe in the in the good sense, then mm -hmm. yeah, he he does make me feel cringy. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I tried to make him rounded. I, the last thing I wanted was to have a kind of villain or um, yeah, you know, like a like a yeah, just like a bad man without. Um, anything else to him and yeah, a lot of people tell me he's their favorite character in the book which is funny because it's 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 the it is kind of the bad guy um you know arguably a villain <laughs> kind of who knows um but yeah I appreciate I, I I was hoping he would come off as rounded and and the cringe is perhaps part of that around this hopefully what what do you did they explain why this was their favorite character i think they're entertained by him mm. i think they, yeah he has kind of buffoonish moments and maybe it's that this is why i love fiction because you can look at a character in a more rounded way but if he was like a real life man in like my circle of friends i don't know if people would be able to pleasantly step back and be like Oh, what an amusing buffoon. Um, I think there would be some sort of more of a visceral response to it. And, I, and I'm not necessarily saying that that's the right or wrong way to approach it. It's just sort of interesting how, like, if this was a real man that existed in real life in our lives, 
we might not read him the same way. And certainly this is a real man that does exist in real life for many people, I'm sure. Um, but there's something about fiction where we, where he can become your favorite character despite this reality of him probably not being your favorite person in real life. I guess, like, what are your thoughts there? Like, I guess that's the joy of fiction. But, like, to me, I've always considered fiction to have all this moral virtue precisely because of that. Fiction is almost sometimes better at being a kind human than, like, people are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's a character in the book that I think is probably the closest to kind of the moral stance of the average reader. And she comes in... She's there throughout, but she becomes a larger presence towards the end of the novel. And I think from her, we get the reaction that is the most so-called accurate reaction that one should have towards Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And that's at odds with Judy's reaction. And this character, while trying not to overstep, she does try to signal to Judy, this is how, uh, quote-unquote, normal, rational adult would view Maurice. Um, She's actually really disgusted by him. She, I mean, one could say she actually, like, hates him. (laughs) And um, so, so she, you know, she's there as a kind of, I mean, I I wasn't thinking of this. I only realized it after the the novel was done. But she's she's definitely what I would call the the closest thing to, like, a, a reader's uh, perspective on Maurice. And, but I think importantly, what the novel is, is about is how a woman who's, and I mean, Judy, an 18 year old girl, who's extremely intelligent and perceptive, how she can, how does she come to realize or not realize from one day to the next and then back and forth who this man is and what danger he presents and she's constantly flip-flopping mm-hmm. um, and she's reassessing. And I, I think the novel is more so about how how a person in a, rela- a problematic relationship where there's an element of danger, um, how she can kind of think her way through it and try to think her way out of it because she really wants something that he can offer. She wants to move to New York and get a job there and get a job in the art field, which she feels he can give her. So to continue seeing him, she has to keep ignoring the bad sides of him. And I think the the reader can see that she's actively ignoring the bad sides of him. And therefore, I think the reader can see that there are bad sides to him, that this is not a novel about like a cool, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, buffoony, Mm -hmm. um, middle-aged man. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's her perception of it that that I'm most interested in. And I think the novel is, is about. Could you briefly describe the character of Dana to listeners just like very briefly? Oh, the artist, Dana Miller? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm happy you're interested in him. Yeah, he's um, he's this, you know, he's an actual, like, you know, successful, it seems, artist in New York. And um, he acts like a very, very flat, you know, stereotypical depiction of, of this kind of, 
you know, art, artist man from from New York City, and uh, Judy is exposed to him, and, and I think she feels threatened by him because here is someone who's kind of the thing she thinks she's going to become, and I think deep down knows that she's probably not going to become this, but of course she can't actually show us she's thinking that. Um, yeah, he, he's he's a threat, and, and he's a he's the thing she wants to become, but probably knows she's ultimately might not become because this is all a, a very strange plan that's you know doesn't have a whiff of reality about it. That from one day to the next, she's suddenly gonna you know become a video artist. She's never even made videos in her life. She's you know she's. <laughs> it's all a kind of wild dream, um, a fantasy, and and yeah, Dana is is a threat to her for that reason. Right. So he's he's a character that Judy does not like, and who Maurice describes as crazy. Uh, but after the fact, Judy thinks the only thing he seemed like was self involved, which had nothing to do with craziness. Um, could you say more here? Um, yeah, I think that once again gets to that kind of flatness and stereotypical nature of this, like, you know, wacky sort of self-indulgent artist man who probably had like a trust fund and and you know came up in Manhattan with the help of his parents and his artist friends. Um, yeah, and, and Maurice has this adoration for him, which Judy is so threatened by and kind of disgusted by too, because you know she can see these people are acting like, um, you know, like, like in, yeah, self-indulgent way. Well, how is how is self-indulgence have nothing to do with craziness, though? I mean, I think that the way Judy, you know, in her kind of like teenaged and the language she's developed with Maurice she thinks that they appreciate a type of person who is also typically an artist in her mind who's um like unconventional and irreverent and weird and cool and well when she meets Dana Miller and there's just this scene where she's watching him you know, in his studio, and then he's kind of being annoying, and he's like so over the top and just annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she just feels that that's not being cool <laughs> and artsy and and interesting. That that's just being like an annoying, an annoying mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, I think she's offended that Maurice uses the term, you know, crazy, which for her is like weird cool fun um to describe this this character whom she has already decided she hates Mm -hmm. um there are multiple instances uh to sexual assault in the novel uh there are also multiple times where judy wishes she was anywhere but in that moment uh you know similarly uh after one instance judy reflects the apartment became bad small um, I think this is a really apt reading and understanding of the feeling after a certain kind of violation. Um, but I'm wondering, what do you think is it about violation that results in a feeling of wanting to be anywhere but there? 
Judy's quite isolated to start with without kind of resources and friends. And in going to New York and hanging out in the apartment of this one person she knows, um, I mean, she's setting herself up to be in a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I mean, of course, with the feeling of danger and violation, she wants to be anywhere but the sight of, of that danger. And I think, you know, of course, she just her lack of options generally in, in hmm. all aspects of her life is is, is a big uh, theme, I think. But yeah, you know, she's, when she's in New York, she really she's completely reliant on Maurice and she's constantly in his apartment and yeah unfortunately she's like just has to deal with with this kind of prison sense of um not being able to escape a place where where he actively does does things that I think make her feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. understandably she really does oscillate, though, like, as you yourself pointed out earlier, she's constantly changing her mind. Uh, you know, she goes from, like, being the happiest girl in the world uh, in the same space to thinking, uh, just being filled with dread in the exact same space that was, you know, just right before filled with joy. Is that naivete? Is that youth? It's it's frustrating, maybe because I'm to read about and hear about, maybe because I'm of an older age. I don't doubt that I was probably the same way, or probably still am in many ways. But you know, is it naivete? Is it, is it something else? Is it is it specific to Judy? I think it's um, specific to this unfortunate situation she's in, where she's set her mind on something she wants, um, caused mm. herself to believe that she will get it and that she can become an artist in New York and move there very soon and have an income. And she understands that to become an artist, you will need a connection and introduction. So she has this perfect opportunity, she believes, to do this. And Maurice, of course, encourages that, that thinking very much. And, um, and yet she's intelligent and like any human being she can sense danger and she knows this is a actually a terrible situation to be in so i think the oscillation is is the flip-flopping between those two those those two facts those two (laughs) truths and in order to keep doing a she has to pretend that b is not as bad as it seems or she can deal with it or It'll last, you know, five seconds and then it'll pass and, you know, she'll, she'll be fine after. And, you know, she, she goes away on the weekends and she returns home on Sunday night and then she has the whole week. She has, you know, the weekdays to kind of get over what happened on the weekend so that come Friday she can return to New York. And it's, it's this sort of sad situation where the weekdays are spent kind of, you know, justifying and, and understanding what happened on the weekend and being kind of arming herself in a way mm-hmm. through denial. But what happened on the weekend? So that come Friday, she can go again. And she goes because her thought is, I'm about to, you know, become someone big, move to New York, become an artist. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's this one scene in chapter 20 where Judy finds herself becoming a little more passive aggressive and also confrontational with Maurice. Um, at this point in the novel, he's let her down on a couple of occasions. And so this results in some rebellion on her part. Again, very passive aggressively. So in the end, Maurice never outwardly acknowledges her anger and she also doesn't really explicitly vocalize it. But there's a sort of standoff that happens in the end. Um, and in the end, Maurice retreats. Uh, you know, you write cool as a cowboy, or maybe he was an old grizzly bear retreating from a near-death battle. I think so much in this section is being said about toxic masculinity here. Um, and I'm wondering if you could say more with that in mind, the ways in which there's very much a battle that happens there without an actual fight, and the ways in which he loses or, like, he loses because he lost or he loses because he's sort of cowardly? Yeah, um, in that scene, I mean, without revealing too much, I think I think she's, uh, there's so many things happening. I, part of One of the things that's happening is she's starting, for a moment she lost confidence that, that this will ever happen, in part because she saw the Dana Miller artist whom mm-hmm. we talked about, um, that that he got to collaborate with Maurice in the way that she had been hoping to collaborate. Um, so suddenly, I, I think there's this crack in that this belief that she's tried to convince herself of, and and so the reader um, that you know she's she's on her way to becoming a superstar cracks, and and she cracks because of that, and she then kind of takes it to the next level in her kind of attempt at having power. But it's, yeah, and, and it does work. I mean, I think Maurice reacts to it and he doesn't expect it. And so there there does emerge, um, I guess, yeah, a standoff, really, a, a momentary standoff. And and as you said, he, he retreats in this way that saves space, that doesn't show that he's he's aware that he's he's perhaps maybe um been defeated to 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 some degree which for sure uh deals with pride and his own need to maintain a facade yeah it's a yeah it's it's definitely a scene where where the power gets um power power shifts in in a in a, in a way I think you hit it on the nail there with the word pride. It's it's sort of like Judy's sort of at this point where she's finally found some pride, um, and he's at this point where he maybe needs to like second guess his pride or is being you know shown that in a certain way. Does Judy learn anything by the end of this novel? Does she need to? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. So as I mentioned, the the end I I feel has has this like eerily. Uh, Sort of, it's really reminiscent of, of opening scenes, but um, I think I, I well, I think she must have learned something first of all because a lot has happened and she's extremely she's very smart, but um, I don't think as she's learned as much as one would it, one would think or expect, and I think that has to do with with the point of telling in the novel. She's narrating the novel from only about two months after the experience. So these events occurred in July, and she's in September. And 
that be that being the, the present moment, I don't think we're able to appreciate, you know, our, the change in us or the lesson we've we've gathered at that close of a point to a very significant event in our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think if the point of telling had been further down, say five years, mm-hmm. is like a you know like a twenty five year old or thirty year old or whatever talking about what happened to her when she was eighteen. I mean, and the whole novel would sound very different. The experience, mm-hmm. the way Maurice's actions would be presented in a completely different context of you know the description and 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 the thoughts around how how things occurred. So, um, yeah, and and that was intentional. I wanted a point of telling that is very close to the events because I think it's it's fascinating how much our perception of what happened to us and also consequently how we've been changed changes with with each day even but definitely with with longer periods um the way we describe something will and how it affected us and how it changed us will be completely um not completely but interestingly you know evolved i love that idea Thank you, Marta. Those are my questions. Uh, Listeners, you can pick up a copy of Big Shadow at your local bookseller. If you're based in Montreal, that includes Library St. Henry Books. Thank you. Thank you again, Marta. This this was great. And I I hope people get to spend time with your text. Thank you so much, Shruti.